Welcome to the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch is in conversation with Dr. Jonathan Kaplan, founder and CEO of Build My Health. And welcome, everybody, to the AmSpa Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well. It's um, great to have on the AmSpa Hotline the world-famous and politically connected now, Dr. Jonathan Kaplan. I guess I was reading a little bit about your, your background, and I, was, I listened to the, the – you were on Bertadotto's podcast as well. Um, I didn't realize that you had such a background with, uh, with Senator Cassidy from Louisiana. That was, that's, that, that's pretty cool. Um, and, and, yeah. And, and I, I want to hear about that. Before, before we get too far, I want to make sure we're, you're properly introduced because I'm not sure everyone knows you. Um, it's, been, it's been a while since we've connected. We were just talking It's you know, back pre-pandemic. But Dr. Kaplan has been um, um, involved in, in some of the AmSpot conferences way back. was one of the first ones I think you were at. And then in addition to that, uh, you are the uh, founder and CEO of Build My Health, which is a price transparency um, website app, among other things, which we'll get into as well. And then also you're involved in the No Surprises Act, which is what we're going to be talking about primarily today. But um, anyway, getting back to what I was uh, talking about before, I, you're, you're, like, you're like on the um, – on the Rolodex of of this of the entire Senate in um, in, in Washington <laughs> D.C., which is pretty awesome. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I wish it was that impressive, but I do have uh, U.S. Senator Bill Cassidy's uh, phone number in my uh, in my phone, so I can I can text him whenever I need a, a ticket fixed. I'm just kidding, of course. But I um, it is nice. I, I have a good relationship with him. That all started back in medical school when I was a uh, med student at LSU in New Orleans. Yeah, um, originally from Louisiana, but. He was one of our professors, clinical instructors that come in and talk to us because he is a gastroenterologist uh, by training. Actually, his specialty, his specialization is in hepatology, mm-hmm. liver diseases. And so from me, him being my professor in med school, we both moved on in our lives. I became a plastic surgeon. He started out uh, next as a legislator in the Louisiana legislature. Then he became a U.S. US congressman and now he's a U.S. senator. And so crazy. He's really been. He's been behind a lot of the bipartisan bills going through the uh, Senate, like not just with yeah. surprise billing, but also the, the recent gun legislation. He yeah. was involved in that. Um, so it's uh, he doesn't necessarily, you know, he, he, I guess he's just trying to make sure that he's well balanced, because I think there's some rumors out that he may run for governor of Louisiana. Oh, no kidding. That might be the Is next step. Yeah, huh. yeah. He didn't say that to me. I'm not really giving any inside information. You heard it first here, everybody. That's, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> everybody tweet that out. Um, no, that's, <laughs> that's you know, that it's it's so interesting because, like, first of all, I didn't even know he was a, a physician. Um, and then um, I also did not know, obviously, he was uh, a, a professor of, of, of medicine, which is really cool. It's just kind of cool. You know, one of the things that I'm always telling entrepreneurs when we do our, our boot camps, usually at the start of it is like, make sure you connect with people and, and, and get to know them. Cause you just never know what's going to happen down the road. And that's kind of a perfect example, um, of, of, uh, of, of that happening. So, um, we, we, we do want to talk about, uh, the no surprises act. Um, and I think that's kind of the main reason we had you on because you, you, you do have some, yeah, obviously your connection with, with, with Senator Cassidy, as well as, um, some of your work on it, I, I think is important and it's going to be important for all of the med spa owners to understand what that means. Um, before we do that though, just, um, for the folks who haven't heard of you yet, um, you're a plastic surgeon in the, in the Bay area, San Francisco Bay area, and you have, um, 
the 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 website Build My Health, uh, which was formerly Build My Bod, but is now Build My Health. I would love just a just a thumbnail sketch of of, of what you've been up to and 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 what that uh, website's about, so folks know who you are. Yeah, uh, my wife and I moved from Louisiana back about nine and a half years ago from uh, Louisiana to San Francisco. I took over an existing practice here, so I am a practicing plastic surgeon. But throughout all that, I've been involved in price transparency efforts, and that's one of the reasons Bill Cassidy reconnected with me after med schools. He'd seen some things in the local paper about me developing this platform, Build My Health, which initially was dealing with price transparency with just aesthetic services, so plastic surgeons, facial plastic surgeons. And then that's really expanded out because everybody is all about price transparency now. It really is a big buzzword. So we've expanded out from just aesthetics to also allowing consumers to check their out-of-pocket cost before their insurance kicks in. So they can actually put in their insurance member ID, find out based on how much they spent towards their deductible out-of-pocket maximum, how much they're going to owe out-of-pocket for a medically necessary service, in addition to being able to determine how much they'll pay out-of-pocket for aesthetic services too. So, so and, 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 and how does that, that work though? But, but before we get too far down the line, uh, with specific to aesthetic services, what's the, so is it for consumers or is it for business owners or what's the, what's the lowdown there of your, of your clientele? No, great question. So the, um, what happens is we provide a price estimator or a chat bot that we embed into a provider's uh, website. So either a med spa owner or plastic surgeon, whoever the doctor is, we embed that consumer facing user friendly chat bot or price estimator on the doctor's website. The consumer comes to that doctor's website, whether it's on desktop or mobile, it's again, very user friendly. And then they can just choose the different services they're interested in. So Botox, breast dog, and I understand they may not know exactly what type of breast dog they want, but the idea is that they can add that to their wish list. And then after including their contact information and submitting that wish list, they get in immediate instant results, uh, email sent to their inbox with a breakdown of all those estimated costs. And those costs are not just some averages that we've taken off of some other website. It's actually pricing information that the doctor or the med spa owner has uploaded to our platform. So the consumer is seeing what the fee schedule looks like for those specific procedures they're interested in. So even though you may not be a candidate for that, when you come in, um, that at least gives you an idea, a ballpark figure of what this may cost so that when you do come in, you don't get sticker shock because that's the way things work now is that you don't know anything until you come in. Nobody will tell you any pricing information. And, you know, the office staff is always like, oh, well, you got to come in first before we can tell you anything. And Mm -hmm. that really just kind of aggravates the consumer because, well, what if I can't afford it? I don't want to come in and divulge my deepest, darkest insecurities just to find out I can't pay for it at the end of the consultation. So that's what we do is we allow the consumer to check pricing through the doctor's website. And then the doctor or provider or the med spa owner gets the patient's contact information in return. So it's a great way to generate leads, to build an email marketing database. So it really benefits both sides. Well, and it's a, it's, it's a way to do it without posting your prices publicly online, right? So Exactly right. Exactly is, right. Because is, I know that you can just list your prices as a menu, but then people don't know, well, if I add these two things together, is this the new price? Well, you might actually have a package for that. And so that would be a different yeah. rate. And, and it just if you just list a long menu, it just gets too cumbersome. It's just untenable. Whereas if the consumer can interact with a human body model, pick and choose this or that, then they can get more accurate um, pricing sent to them via email. And then, of course, they 
then once they see the pricing, then we give them opportunities to apply for care credit, other financing plans. Mm -hmm. They can even schedule a consultation. They can even upload pre-consultation photos. So there's just so much more options and opportunity for interactivity before they even get to the consultation. Mm -hmm. And I, I think some of the pushback I get is like, well, what if, you know, again, as I alluded to, what if they choose the wrong thing? Well, keep in mind, just because they check the pricing, they aren't just magically transported into the consultation chair right after they check pricing. The office staff first gets the contact information, calls them up, says, hey, I saw you're checking pricing. What are you thinking about? And the example I always give that doesn't necessarily apply to med spa owners, but somebody saying, yeah, I'm looking to get my 14th nose job. Hmm. Well, okay, well, that's probably not the right price you chose online. We'll give you that. So it gives the patient an opportunity to get a better idea, have reasonable expectations with that phone call. After they check pricing, they get a phone call from the office staff and before they come in for the consultation. So it's just much more education. So that phone call uh, from the office staff after the price generated uh, estimate is kind of part of the process. It's not just... Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Because you know, I, I would think there's, there's you know... Well, a, a few things. But, but if you just have a if you just have a menu of pricing, you're never going to get the patient's phone number, so you're not going to be able to call them right. and educate them in that way. Exactly. Exactly. And what I was going to say is, it's it's so interesting how you know where we are as an industry, and then this dovetails nicely into the actual law, uh, no surprises act. Because I remember when maybe when we first met, and even before then. I was at um, maybe it was VCS or one of those conferences, and there was a, a, a huge discussion about whether you divulge your prices at all before the patient comes in, which is a lot of what you're talking about. And 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 to me, um, I was like, well, yeah, why why wouldn't you? I mean, and, and there was this, there was always a, the argument. Well, if you do, then you're going to get undercut. And it's like, well, if you're going to get undercut like that, then then why? This is not your patient anyway. But anyway, it's been kind of this issue. The fact that it's kind of come to a head now, where the transparency is not only. Um, advisable, but it's, it's required. It's just, it's interesting how we've, we've gotten this far. It really has evolved. And uh, one of the things I always talk about one of my uh, presentations that I give is that really nothing happened on the price transparency front for forever, pretty much yeah. <laughs> like nobody, there was no legal requirements for price transparency on a federal level, but in the last three, uh, last, excuse me, last two years, 2020 um, and 2021, all these laws have come on the books or at least have been implemented in the last couple of years where it was first there was price transparency rules from the Trump administration that hospitals actually had to show their pricing on their website through a price estimator. That was one thing. Secondly came the No Surprise Act, which we'll talk more about, where the providers have to basically minimize the chances of the consumer getting a surprise bill. And then the third thing that has just come out this past July 1st is now just like hospitals, insurance companies now have to post all of their negotiated rates for all of their providers, the doctors, the surgery centers, really? the hospital, and they have to have it in these machine readable files, which our company is actually going through right now. And it's like millions and maybe even billions mm -hmm. of lines of pricing data that we're going through through all these insurance companies' machine readable files, making that into a user-friendly format. Um, and so it's these three major aspects of price transparency that's come up in the last couple of years. It's, it's wild. Yeah. It's, you know, and, and in some of the articles you've, 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 you've written, I think that you wrote the article in the, in, was it Newsweek with, with Senator Cassidy? Yep. That was exactly right. Newsweek. Everyone should check that out for sure. It's a good, it's a good kind of summary. What, what, what's was surprising to me in researching this and I was surprised, but not shocked. And, and was that 
that that there there was no transparency prior to now. I mean, the 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 examples that you give um, in in the article and in some of the I think also maybe in in some of the podcasts you've been on is you know these these you come into an emergency situation in the hospital and there's various people treating you. you go home everything's covered except for one or two things and those things happen to be you know a fifteen thousand dollar MRI or an anesthesiologist bill or whatever and you're just like what the hell like to me like that that's always been an issue I just it, it's 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 baffling that it's taken this long to kind of fix that. Yeah, and there was a lot of lot of infighting within Congress trying to come up with an agreement because you know there's a lot of vested interests. Excuse yeah. me. There was a lot of vested interests with doctors and uh, payers, the insurance companies. Everybody, you know, I, I don't blame them. They're all just trying to kind of preserve their own their own uh, uh, yeah. brethren, I guess you could say. But it's uh, but it, eventually you've got to try to do the right thing for the consumer and minimize unintended consequences. That's the biggest problem with a lot of these bills are the unintended consequences right. where they're kicking doctors off the networks because maybe they they uh, not so much billed too much in the past, but got reimbursed too much in the past. And so the insurance companies are trying to minimize the amount that they're having to pay out. So everybody's definitely looking out for themselves to some extent. Yeah, um, no question. And I think what I think the best thing to do is um, – uh, first of all, everyone, you can you can take a look at at what the bill uh, the, or the that's not a bill anymore. The new law says, but essentially what it what it really does there's there, there, there's a couple components to it. The 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 main component, as I understand, is this kind of um, um, this price price transparency thing where you go in for emergency ser- services, and if there's if there's different folks in and out of network, um, there's some sort of a cost sharing so that the the, the patient doesn't get get stuck. I, I, I explain that part because because that was the part that you yeah. know, arguably doesn't deal with with our industry, but still seems very very relevant to everything that we're. That, that yeah, we're I, I definitely think it's worth going over like the, very succinctly at least uh, the three major parts. Of the way I've broken down the No Surprises Act, which again has already gone into effect this past year. January 1st. So we're already non-compliant to some extent. And first off, I want to also clarify that everybody, no matter what you do, even though we're going to talk about these different parts that maybe doesn't don't apply to everybody, the parts that apply to everybody, there's two notices that everybody has to post at their front desk. One is a notice, and these are notices you can get from a website, nosurprisesact.com. You can download all of those these two notices I'm about to refer to, but nosurprisesact.com. One notice is saying uh, that you have to post physically at the front desk and on your website that the patient has protections against surprise billing. That's just one notice mm-hmm. that CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, has put out that you have to post that that one notice. The second notice that you have to post is the one saying that the patient has a right to a good faith estimate, and we'll get more into detail the details of that. But those are the two notices that apply to everyone, hospitals, surgery centers, doctors, med spas, has to be at the front desk. Okay. Now moving on, the No Surprises Act, the different, the three major components. One is if people are using insurance in an emergency situation, that the No Surprises Act is to minimize the chance of them getting a surprise bill after the fact from somebody that claims to be an out-of-network provider in that process of when they were getting emergency room services. So like the radiologist is out of network. Well, you didn't have a choice of who the radiologist right. was in an emergency situation. So the No Surprises Act forbids that radiologist from sending you a surprise bill in an emergency situation when you're using insurance. Uh, You would just basically be paying the in-network service, uh, the cost sharing for that. The second uh, part of the No Surprises Act is if you're getting out-of-network services in a non-emergency situation and you're 
using uh, insurance for that. So a good example for that, we're in the med spa discussion, is a plastic surgeon that does breast reconstruction. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're out of network for that. They can still bill out of network for that service in in a non-emergency situation, but now they have to get a consent form, according to the No Surprises Act, saying that they're gonna send you an out of network bill in this non-emergency situation. And they have to provide you with price transparency. They have to provide you with cost estimate of what you potentially may pay out of pocket in the process of getting that out of network service. So that's the Mm -hmm. second part. Mm -hmm. So just to review, first part was if you're using insurance in an emergency situation, minimizing surprise bills. Second part is you're getting out of network services in a non-emergency situation, minimize surprise bills in that situation, or at least make you aware of those surprise bills ahead of time. Then the third part that applies to all of aesthetics, surprisingly, which we didn't really see that coming, and I don't think Congress or or CMS uh, was uh, really had us on their radar. Sure is the third part is when you're using, when you're not using insurance. So basically, if somebody's uninsured or self-pay, mm-hmm. and they're including aesthetics in that, that if you are not using insurance and you're getting some sort of service, then you have to be given a good faith estimate of all the constituent costs. So in the case of you're getting cosmetic surgery, you're going to a surgery center. It's the cost of the surgeon, the cost of the anesthesiologist, the cost of the operating room. All of that has to be bundled together and provided to you as a good faith estimate. That's the overview. I want to give you a second to jump in before we get into how this applies to med spas. Yeah, so I, so I have um, one, f- um, one follow-up and then one kind of more general ethereal question for you. The, when it comes to the price estimate for costs, you're not t- are you talking about like cost of goods like or is it just costs that you're charging the the patient for so you don't have to disclose how much you paid for the syringes or for the botox or whatever it is it's just it's whatever that excellent question it's basically what's going to be coming out of the patient's pocket those are the costs you have to provide them what what is going to cost the patient this um, what are they going to have to pay out of pocket for the different services they're providing so no you don't have to break it down into how much the syringe costs but basically if you are, let's say for laser hair removal, this is a really good example that appears to be included in what is required for a good faith estimate. That if you are giving, uh, selling somebody a package of six treatments for laser hair removal, you have to provide them with a good faith estimate. We're gonna get into this well, why I think that is requires a good faith estimate. But a good faith estimate is required to uh, give them an idea of the total package of those six treatments and then if Typically, there are some follow-up procedures. Then you also need to let them know what those potential costs are going to be for the for a 12-month period. Mm-hmm. So if you are doing a package of laser hair removal, you can't just tell them like one treatment costs this. You're supposed to give them a good faith estimate what the total package will cost for the total six treatments mm-hmm. and any other reasonably expected out-of-pocket costs for that. So if you make every patient get some like numbing skin cream BLT mm-hmm. for their laser hair removal – if that is a part of the cost, then you need, or part of the charges, I should say, then you need to include that in the good faith estimate. So the um, clearly the 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 act itself doesn't mention aesthetics, doesn't mention med spas, doesn't mention you know cosmetic surgery or laser hair removal or cool sculpting or whatever. Um, and your your um, you mentioned when you were describing the kind of three different buckets was that you know aesthetics is is included and you just mentioned you just referenced laser hair removal um 
Now, I mean, I know the answer to this question, but um, but like, what's the? I, it, it's pretty clear to me that this industry and these types of services were probably not what was envisioned when they were doing this. Because number one, it's it's cash pay, so it's everyone's going to know what the price is eventually. It's like you, but you know, um, and most of the times in this industry, I mean, you know, there is probably more transparency here than there are in other industries. What, how, how certain should we be that this is actually going to be applied to aesthetics? Or is, is, is it possible that this is just going to be ultimately overlooked as one of those exceptions? It certainly could be down the road. But as of this point, right. well, let me go back also and clarify why I think aesthetics is included as part yeah. of this. They refer to, and, and there's one of the documents that they sent out in December of Uh, 2021. So one of the last clarification documents that CMS sent out before this was implemented. And they uh, talk about the good faith estimate and they refer to uninsured slash self-pay, I think 108 times in that document. They always refer to, always in that context, uninsured self-pay. They never say aesthetics. The problem is they are saying self-pay from the perspective of somebody that has insurance but is choosing not to use their insurance. They're choosing to pay out themselves. So why would somebody who has insurance choose to pay uh, out of pocket? Well, because sometimes the MRI or the CT scan is cheaper if you just pay cash for it and don't use your insurance because the negotiated rate might be higher, your out-of-pocket deductible might make it more expensive to just go through insurance even though you're having to pay out of pocket still versus just getting the cheaper cash rate. So that's why they kept referring to self-pay. The problem is, Self-pay isn't the same thing as paying yourself, just the same way that sharing a ride with somebody isn't the same thing as ride sharing. They're the same words, but they really have totally different contexts. But the thing is, CMS hasn't made that distinction yet. So when they say self-pay, well, cosmetic patients are paying themselves. They are paying out of pocket, but they're not choosing to pay out of pocket because they can't uh, because they're not using their insurance. They're not choosing not to use their insurance. They're not allowed to use their insurance. Of well, course, and insurance that was categoric that, excludes aesthetics. Yeah, that, that, that that's exactly. But CMS what I was doesn't say. make that distinction. You and I understand right. that, but CMS right. didn't. Write so, it that and, way. and so the bottom line is that because that distinction is not made by CMS in the, or in the, in, the, in the bill, it's 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 too risky not to include it. But I mean. My point was just the point that you made. It's 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 not that we're choosing not to use insurance; it's that insurance isn't offered as an option. So you almost have to. So I mean, in my mind, there's there's a distinction to be made there. But until it's made, I think we have to. You know, we gotta we we have to follow the rules. I mean, that, that that's kind of what, is that fair? I, I agree. I, I think there is a distinction to be made. And one of the things I've, I've mentioned before is that. You know, they've sent out other clarifications about the good faith estimates. When I say they have, I was talking about CMS, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. They have sent out other clarifications since the law has been implemented. The most recent was April 6th. And the thing is, they've put out other clarifications and they've had the opportunities to clarify this doesn't apply to aesthetics. And they haven't taken that opportunity mm-hmm. yet. I'm not mm-hmm. saying they're not going to do it in the future, but they still have not made that distinction that maybe aesthetics isn't included. So as of right now, if you violate the No Surprises Act and you get called out on it, it's a $10,000 per penalty fine. Uh, but the most recent clarification on April 6th, this actually gives me a little bit of insight of why I was saying that about laser hair removal. So they talk about who is required to get a good faith estimate. And it really comes down to, if you're getting something that includes multiple providers or if you're getting something that requires multiple sessions known ahead of time. So multiple providers, as I've talked about before, is if you're getting a procedure at a surgery center, 
the multiple providers are, the surgeon, the anesthesiologist, the, uh, the, uh, mm-hmm. the surgery center fees, the facility fees, the cost of implants. That's pretty clear cut as of right now that even if it's cash pay aesthetics, that needs a, a good faith estimate. Then the one that's a little less obvious is multiple sessions. The examples they use in this clarification from CMS is counseling sessions or physical therapy, mm-hmm. things like that, that you know ahead of time that you're going to be getting six sessions of that. So that's why I'm extrapolating that to say that that applies to laser hair removal. You know you're getting that ahead of time. And if there's like BLT cream included, you should include that as well. So that's that's uh, why I'm saying that. The other clarification they mentioned is what if somebody comes in for day of test, uh, uh, just a walk-in for a lab test, and they're saying you don't need a good faith estimate for that. So I extrapolated that and said, okay, well, if you're just coming for a one-off Botox or one-off filler, I don't believe you need a good faith estimate for that. It's just if you're giving somebody a package of microneedling with some potential out-of-pocket other costs that aren't clear up front or laser hair removal, I do think those things, based on the current laws, the current clarifications, I think those things require good faith estimates. Also, subscriptions, membership packages, what are all the things included? Mm-hmm. How much are you not only going to get charged per month, but what is the cost of that over the course of a year? And they also clarified that the good faith estimate has to be renewed every 12 months. You don't have to give a new good faith estimate every time they come in for one of those packages of six yeah. laser hair removal yeah, I treatments. Can, I mean, I can but think of... much you have to provide it. I can think of, like... In aesthetics, particularly, just a number of things that call that into into question, right? Does it apply? Like, if you're, um, what if you're going to have multiple treatments in a particular, uh, like when you come in for multiple treatments, whether it's you, know, you get numbing and you get Botox, but the, but the numbing's from someone else besides who gives you the Botox, multiple providers, and you're coming back for, you're coming back for a two week follow up, which a lot of places do, um, maybe some touch ups. Um, or if it's some sort of a, what we're seeing a lot of right now is, is you know, kind of um, full treatment plans to kind of get you, you know, here's what you need. So they're going to sign you off on all these different things that's going to happen in the future. That appears to now qualify as well for that. I mean, there's all these things that kind of fall into it. Um, I think the, 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 the saving grace to all this is that most people, I think, are pretty accustomed to providing the full cost of it right now when they go into this stuff. So I don't think it's going to be as shocking for med spa owners as others, but I don't know. It, it does seem to open up a kind of a ball of a can of worms that we're going to have to maybe think about. Right. I mean, I think of things like, I, cause when I first read about the law and everything, I was thinking, well, I don't really send out surprise bills after the fact and I don't, but then I started thinking about, well, you know what, whenever we do a breast reduction in the operating room, purely aesthetic, uh, you know, cosmetic cash pay, that we tell them all the cost up front, but sometimes when you, you do a breast reduction, you send that tissue off for pathology, and then the patient would get a pathology bill. That's not something I really thought about, but that's technically mm-hmm. a surprise bill after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is an example of how at first you think, oh, this doesn't really apply, but you start looking a little bit more in depth, and you can see how those things could potentially apply. But for med spas, I think it's definitely not as it's, I don't think it's going to be as pervasive as long as you're providing the patient with all of their uh, cost up front that you're not going to send them a surprise bill. Keep in mind also, 
you're allowed to send people a bill after the fact. It just can't be a surprise bill. You just need to di- divulge and disclose all of those potential constituent mm-hmm. reasonable costs ahead of time. So that if you do have to send a subsequent bill after the fact, even if it's over the $400 limit, as long as it's not a surprise, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to get, you're not going to get in trouble for it from yeah. the no surprise. Like they can, the consumer can still launch a dispute against you, but if, as long as you're abiding by the law, you're not going to have to pay out that $10,000. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you raise a good point, which I'll get to in a second, which is the, the kind of the consumer dispute angle. Um, what, um, well, actually, let's just let's just get into that. With as far as that goes, there there there's a rule where if, a, if the consumer does dispute it, and and, and you you overcharge by four hundred bucks or more, I think it is in, in a surprise, then you're going to owe that back, maybe plus some penalties. Is is that kind of what the 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 mechanism is for 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 punishment and redemption? That is, they uh, there's a whole arbiter type of system set up, and you have to pay like I believe it's twenty five dollars to even file the uh, the the. Uh, the dispute. Mm-hmm. Um, so the consumer has to come out of pocket with a little bit of something. Um, but then in, in, in some of the disputes, they people get their money back if they win. Uh, anyway, so they have to file a dispute if they get a surprise bill for more than $400 and what the good faith estimate showed. Now, once, once you go to arbitration, you might be able to show, well, we actually gave the patient that expected potential cost up front and it was $500. So it was more than $400, but it wasn't really a surprise. We told them about it ahead of time. And that's one of the things you would have to dispute or clarify. Obviously, that's all annoying. Even if you win, you have to go to a dispute. So I, I have not spoken to anybody, not a med spa owner, not a plastic surgeon, who's had to go through a dispute with a patient for a good faith estimate. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I really think that all this dispute resolution process, because there's one set up for doctors against the insurance company, for that situation when they want to bill out a network, but they're not allowed to, and maybe they don't feel like they get enough of an in-network rate. That's a, that's a whole separate dispute mm-hmm. process, independent dispute resolution process between the doctor and the insurance company. The one we're talking about is between the patient and the doctor for a good faith estimate. But overall, I think they're trying to make these dispute resolution processes so onerous that the doctor either just doesn't send a, a bill after the fact, uh, or mm-hmm. make sure that they provide all the pricing up front or they just forgive the bill and mm-hmm. say to the patient, okay, don't worry about paying it. I don't want to have to go through it. I think that's the real purpose of the dispute resolution process is that you just kind of throw up your hands and give up, yeah. which is a shame. So the, the, the good faith estimate, what are the, the formal kind of requirements for this? Cause again, med spas are often used to giving estimates, here's what it's going to cost you, you know, and then get into the patient financing and all that kind of stuff. But is there, is there there specific things they have to be saying? Yeah. It's a great point of where you think, Oh, I'm already given an estimate. Well, you're not given an estimate the way that CMS wants to give it to you. And this is really, I'm a little bit crestfallen about the whole thing because I feel like in aesthetics, we were always so lucky that we were able to avoid all this federal regulation, not in a bad way, but in a good way. And now this is like the first time I can remember where federal law, healthcare law, really does apply to aesthetics. So CMS has come up with very specific templates, like like the ones that you post up at your front desk, those postings that I talked about. They have very specific templates of what these estimates should look like. Uh, again, you can download them from mm-hmm. nosurprisesact.com. Uh, but the templates have to have the patient's name, of course, mm-hmm. but it also has to have the doctor's tax ID number. I don't know why. The doctor's NPI number, a diagnosis code, which there are an ICD-10 diagnosis code you can use for cosmetic services. It's got to have a CPT code. Of course, a lot of these things don't have CPT codes, so you just don't worry about that. But then it has to have all of the breakdown of the constituent cost for the sessions, 
uh, of laser hair removal. Maybe you're doing the cream, you're charging extra for the cream. You have to have that price included. You have to have the total overall cost over the 12 month period included. Mm -hmm. And then attached to that template has to also be the disclaimer saying that if you get a surprise bill for more than $400 after the fact, then you can launch a dispute. So it's a disclaimer that the patient receives as part of their good faith estimate. And that is a very specific template that that is by law you have to use a template like that that includes all of that information for a good faith estimate. Hey folks, it's Alex Tiersch here. And I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors for this podcast, Seymour Design. I want you all to think a little bit about interior design for the next minute or two, because the design of your med spa is very important. And what many people don't realize is that the design of your interior of your med spa, the colors, the layout, things like that actually influences revenue and profitability. Are you outgrowing your practice, but feel reluctant just thinking about the stress of expanding or moving to a new space, finding a new location, designing a new office, moving your patients to another building, all of this can be overwhelming. But it doesn't have to be. The secret is to do it once and to do it right and to ensure that you're designing for profitability by enlisting the help of experts. With over a decade of experience designing highly profitable medical spaces, Seymour Design provides intentional interior design services to support your medical spa's success. Plus, Seymour offers AMSPA members a complimentary 45-minute interior design consultation, as well as a basic space assessment, which is amazing. Book your consultation today at www.seymourdesign.com, which is S-I-M-O-U-R design.com, or get the latest updates and design tips by following them on Instagram at Seymour Design. And make sure you mention that you heard about it on the AMSPA podcast, Medical Spa Insider. Thanks so much. You know, it's interesting because the, the, the two examples that were in the, the CMS um, article or, or update that you were talking about, the, you know, the uh, therapy, uh, physical therapy and um, mental health, like, again, counsels, both of those, again, covered by insurance. So it's like that makes sense to me why that would go in there. I, I wonder, though, how like doing 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 these specific GFEs for, you know, laser hair treatments packages, that's, that's, I mean, it just doesn't seem, it, it, it doesn't. And, and I'm not saying don't do it. Of course, we have to follow the rules. It just, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But then, then again, that's kind of how, that's the, the pond that we've been swimming in with med spas for, since the beginning. So, yeah, like we've said, we don't. I don't believe the uh, it was on the radar of Congress right. or or CMS when they're writing these rules. Right. So, so tell me that. I mean, this has been been great. Um, I, I what's the reason? If you know, and, and maybe in, in your 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 conversations with 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 Senator Cassidy or something else, like what was the pushback to to implementing price transparency, particularly in um, like emergency situations like you were talking about? Because it seems to me it's like, of course, like if you're unconscious, you can't decide who's in or out of network for your radiologist. Um, was there like a cogent argument that they were making for that? Or is it, again, is it just, just comes down to dollar and cents and industry and all that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, this is all very historical. I mean, this has been going on for years. You know, it's like it's this cat and mouse game between insurance companies and hospitals yeah. and doctors, you know, 
Yeah. You basically you charge more because you know you're going to get paid under that. So if you charge too little, then they'll pay you even less than that. Right. So that's part of the cold cat and mouse game of price opacity. But it also the argument they were making, and it certainly all comes down to dollars and cents eventually. But the argument they were making essentially is that if, and I think it's a reasonable argument that if you don't allow doctors to bill out of network and get paid enough, because if they're in network, they don't always get paid enough. Right. If you don't allow them to get paid enough by billing out of network, then they're going to choose not to take emergency room call. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to be said about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's doctors that are relying, you know, most of their income relies on out of network billing because you get paid more. And so that I think is part of the argument that you're not going to have the same coverage. Which I think. So what happens to those people? As of right now, I haven't seen that, but I yeah. think we will see that. Yeah. Uh, but maybe we have the benefit. There's always new graduates coming out of training, and they're hungry for business, and so they will be in network, and they'll cover the ER. And so that is, you know, it's this the new cohort of people coming out of training will always take care of those ones that are dropping off because they can't oh, so. charge out a network. Yeah, I, I I get it. So so as of now, though, if you're one of those physicians who's charging out of network costs, you're only going to get paid the in in network costs at this point. Right, and there was a lot of lawsuits about what that in network rate was, but the in network rate can be based on the median in network rate, uh, not the mean, but the median, just like the, literally the middle point. Uh, it can be based on how much you've gotten reimbursed in the past. It can be based on the complexity of the case. It can be based on if it's an educational institution. Um, it can be based on if the payer, the insurance company, has like 95% of the community uh, power, then you could get a little bit more uh, benefit from the arbiter. The arbiter might side, uh, side in your favor saying that, yeah, you should get paid a little bit more for this than what the insurance company is trying to offer you because they're lowballing you because you have too much market power mm-hmm. market share. Mm-hmm. So those are all the different things that can come into play during that independent dispute resolution process. Uh, but yes, in general, it's an in-network rate that you're going to have to be shifted towards. Interesting. Interesting. How, 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 oh, involved- oh God, no, good. Yeah. Please remember your question too. But the thing that's a little unfair about all this also is that, you know, there's outlawing surprise bills, but ground ambulance services mm-hmm. can still bill out of network. Why is that? Why does kind of ground ambulances? Because so when they're writing these the laws, yeah. they realize that a lot of the ground ambulances were owned by the city or county in which they operated. So it was just maybe a little too complex to write a federal law that would affect city or state, excuse me, city or county uh, ordinances. So they just tabled it for now and they, they may revisit it in the future. Yeah. But for now, when you get taken by ambulance to that hospital and you can no longer get that out of network bill from the radiologist or from the ER doctor, you can, from you can still get that out of network bill, that balance billing from the ambulance service. And you don't have out of network benefits, then you're not going to have any cost sharing. You're going to be paying the whole thing out of pocket. The insurance isn't going to help you at all. And it's just unfair because now the insurance company is still making, excuse me, the ambulance company is still making money from the out-of-network billing, mm-hmm. balance billing, but they're also making money from the tax revenue from the city or county mm-hmm. in which they operate. And Very I, unfair I remember the doctors uh, who can no longer pull out of network mm-hmm. in emergencies. One of the uh, conversations I had with a friend of mine who's from um, London, and they were like, wait a minute. If you get run over by a car and taken to the to the hospital, the ambulance sends you a bill. It's like yes, they do. <laughs> welcome to the welcome to the United States. Um, what um, I, 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 first of all, I, I want to make sure we cover everything that's that's pertinent and relevant for for aesthetics um, with uh, the No Surprises Act. So, is is there anything else that 
that I've missed that you think folks should know about? Because I, I want to get a little bit into, um, you know, how involved you are in the actual bill making process. Because, or you know, did you get to see any of that kind of in action? Because that's always super interesting for for legal dorks like me. Right. Um, no, I think the main things are that if it's a multiple session uh, service that you're providing, you know ahead of time it's going to be multiple sessions. Reasonably expected costs should be included, whether it's skin cream or things like that, on top of whatever energy-based service you're giving. Um, and then I would tell you that if it's just a person coming in for Botox, one-off, Botox, one-off filler, you don't need to give them a good faith estimate. Um, but, uh, but include those reasonably expected costs over the course of a year, if it's a membership or a package or things like that. Okay. So for example, really quick uh, reference to our software that produces these good faith estimates. Yeah. So for like a membership, like if somebody's charging $25 a month for a membership, that's included in our good faith estimate. But then we're also including what the 12 month cost of that $25 times 12 is. Okay. I know it's simple math, but we're including all that in our good faith estimates that our software produces so that it's very clear to the consumer what they're signing on for once they come in for that. So your so, so so your build my um, health software, the, like the bot that goes on on people's websites that that generates the the estimate that actually is good faith estimate compliant. No, that's I'm really Sorry. glad you brought that up. So the estimate that you're getting on the computer screen that's just an estimate. Okay, gotcha. Uh, it is definitely not a good faith estimate because. You can't give a good faith estimate until you've really seen the patient. Right. That was my follow-up. Yep. All, right. And also, I think good faith estimate is like a, a word, as uh, a phrase that people have used for a lot of years. Yeah. But now it's actually a, a codified term yeah. by federal law. So a good faith estimate is actual, it actually it's means something now that has a lot of attachments associated with it from a federal perspective. So when people are checking pricing on our website uh, through the chatbot of the price estimate, that's just an that's estimate. Just an estimate. But then once they come in for the consultation, our system allows the front office staff to take that estimate and then update it based on the consultation and then turn that into a good faith estimate that has all of those necessary ele elements that the federal law requires. So gotcha. now they're not having to start from scratch and produce a good faith estimate. They just basically take the estimate that the patient created on the front end, update it, it automatically includes all those elements, as I mentioned, and then that prints out a good faith estimate for the consumer that includes that disclaimer and all of those yeah. subsequent or uh, other other costs. That makes so sense. So that, that's what I meant by it. We basically provide a continuum to right. make this all incorporated and less confusing and complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I'm thinking, I mean, I think this is all, these are all very, very good things. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking of like, you know, signing a mortgage document and there's like a thousand pages of these disclosures and various things that they're talking about how much you're going to pay. And I can just imagine you going for your Botox treatment and you could walk out with a stack of documents that, exp <laughs> that explain them. Um, did you get to see kind of how the, the, did you get to go and like do any testifying or, or talking to other, other, uh, other congressmen? No, no, not before. Not so before. yeah, okay. so I've had this relationship with uh, Bill Cassidy, and then after the No Surprise Act was passed, so was we true? wrote that article together I in Newsweek. You. But then now, yeah. I'm actually being asked to come in and help. Uh, there's a couple of the uh, Ways and Means committees yeah. have asked me to uh, speak, and unfortunately, I don't know if it'll be as exciting as me going in and testifying in front of a committee in person. It may be more of a Zoom thing, but uh, but no, they've they've been okay. reaching out to me for subsequent discussions. 
because of different aspects of the implementation of the No Surprise Act, specifically shifting things from that out-of-network billing to the in-network billing. Yeah. And if doctors are going to come on the uh, short end of the stick on that, that's some of the things that they want to talk to me about. Very gotcha. interesting. Well, if you don't mind, I'd love for you to slip in a word about med spas while you're there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how they should be excluded. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally excluded from... Um, Okay, good. So, 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 so you were involved in this after the fact, after after Senator Cassidy contacted you and it passed. I thought maybe you had been involved in some of the, you know, see how the see how the pork barrel is 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 generated, which is always interesting. Um, well, cool. So, where can folks find more um, about your product and you? And and again, we're we're obviously we we we'd love to have you in, involved in some of the things that we're doing. I think the 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 good faith estimate auto generator, all the price transparency, all that stuff is 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 very very positive and needed. Where can folks find out more? Yeah, so they can uh, reach out to us at buildmybod.com. Still the same website, buildmybod.com. Uh, they can email me at Jonathan J O. Actually, they should actually email our new chief revenue officer, Chad. Yeah, uh, Chad Sawyer from. Uh, he was originally at Crystal Clear Digital Marketing. They were acquired by Patient Now. He's now our chief revenue officer. And we're so excited to have him. So they can email Chad at C H A D Chad at buildmybod.com. Uh, also, if you're looking for those templates and the mm-hmm. postings that you have to put at your front desk, you can get all that as I mentioned before at No Surprises Act. Dot com. So any of those ways you can get in touch with us and we can provide you with a demo, give you more information. And basically what we're just trying to do is make all your current office processes much more efficient and compliant with this law. So definitely try to look at this as glass half full that we're going to make what you're doing now more efficient rather than making all this very burdensome. So totally. we hope, hope to avoid the burdensome part. Of it. I think, you know, I think we, I, I, I'm not terribly, terribly worried about it. I, I you know, I can't imagine for a single Botox treatment or a couple of Botox treatments, there's going to be a lot of pushback from, from the feds, but then I agree with you. I agree. (laughs) You never know. The one thing I do worry about, and this is um, a little bit of a segue, but excuse me, of, 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 of a digression, but I do worry that when patients call asking for an estimate, that if the office staff has been trained not to give any pricing information over the phone. Mm-hmm. The patients are going to, based on what they've learned on TikTok, which is erroneous, that they're going to say, oh, the doctor won't give me an estimate over the phone. They're not, uh, I want, or the patient might call and actually even say, I want a good faith estimate. Right. I, I saw that I could get a good faith estimate. And then the office staff is going to say, well, we can't give you a good faith estimate until you come in. And the thing is, the truth is the patient's really just asking for an estimate, as I, as I talked about before. And I'm afraid that if the patient gets the impression that they're being refused a good faith estimate, even though you could give them an estimate, they're being refused a good faith estimate that you're not compliant and that they could either write a review that you're not compliant with the No Surprises Act, that you won't agree to give them a good faith estimate, or they could report you to the board because you refuse to give a good faith estimate. Even though you're not required to give a good faith estimate over the phone, they can misinterpret your unwillingness to provide them with an estimate as being non-compliant. So I do worry about that, that perception. Yeah. I think, I think probably of all the things that could happen that it's going to be somebody who's educated themselves on this and then they come in and they want to, they, they, they don't get exactly what they want or the estimate they get, they get like an estimate, you know, that's just an estimate. It's not meant to be a good faith estimate and it's not as detailed as it needs to be. And they go back and complain. I mean, what do you do? Man, if someone complains about that, like, I mean, I'm not sure what you do to that, but. <laughs> well, whenever 
I think that doesn't change. I think that already we have patients coming in with unreasonable expectations yeah. or misunderstanding of what this does or that does. And we're educating them on that anyway. And so once they come in with a, a price and you're like, well, this is why that's not the right thing for you. You have Fitzpatrick type five. That's not the right price for you. That's not for that. That's not the right treatment for you. Um, and then you can give them an updated estimate and it's just the same process of educating the patient after they right. come in. Right. Okay. That was good stuff. Um, I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man. You got a lot going on. Um, but, but thank you for the information. It was great. We'll take some of this. We'll make sure we get it up on our website. So folks are um, aware of, of where to go, um, and, and how to find you and how, how to get these templates. But I, but I appreciate your time. Thanks again. Yep, take good. care. Bye-bye. Okay, Thanks for joining us this week with the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch was joined by Dr. Jonathan Kaplan, founder and CEO of Build My Health. If you're new with us, click on the subscribe button, then receive new content when it happens. Leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode.